Kia ora koutou. welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Lovely to be with you this afternoon. Alexi Russell and Raj Chakraborty with me today. Lee writes, well, I have a sock day, a towel day, a flannel day, a tea towel day and a clothing day. Uh, talking about that, how do you wash uh, at 425? And regarding anniversary gifts, uh, Alan says, I gave my wife an automatic garage door opener as an anniversary gift. I did cop a bit of flack from others, but she was delighted. It was life-changing for her as a stay-at-home mum and household shopper. I continued myself to park out in the rain. Thanks for your messages today. First up on the programme, people working in the financial services and charities sector are reporting an increase in the working poor as the cost of living jumps. More and more Kiwis are starting to ask for help as costs bite. New Zealanders are spending, on average, an extra four to five thousand dollars in the past twelve months on basics like food, like rent, fuel. Of that, the majority of the increase is fuel, with an extra six hundred and seventy-eight dollars a year at the pump on average. Annual food prices rose a whopping six point eight percent in February. That's from Stats NZ released today. With us is Ian Hudson, the Director of the Salvation Army's Social Policy and Parliamentary Unit. Ian, kia ora. Nice to have you on. Kia ora. Nice to, to be here. No way to massage those numbers, uh, Ian, right? I mean, uh, things are going up and they're going up quite fast. They are. And what you said earlier is so true. We, we're seeing through our services um, more working families, more people that we haven't seen before coming in, um, I guess what we've got is families who were possibly on the edge before all of this um, sort of being pushed over, as it were. It's it, We're living in difficult times, I guess, um, COVID, war, and in the middle of a housing crisis. So a particular, it might be someone who has, uh, what, a particular bill, uh, maybe a car maintenance bill or something that they just can't meet and they come to you for extra or what? It's that kind of thing. Um, I think a lot of people are, are, are living, were living close to the edge before, but um, you know they managed to get by. But just the fuel, the the, the housing costs going up, or or um, like you say, I mean, food is just going up. So if if you can't get it at the the, the can't pay for it in the the supermarket, then you have to come to places like us. And Ian, what is your stock like in the well in the food banks? Uh, we've got the food um, by and large. What one of our problems uh, that's emerging as this COVID wave goes through is that um, in some parts of the country, anyway, uh, we've got staff who are unwell and um, so can't. Um, not all are on board, so we've got increased demand pressure on the, the staff that are there. And on top of that, I guess one of the things we're struggling a little bit with is that there are some families who uh, who have um, COVID and, and are isolated. Mm. And, they, and what I understand is that countdown uh, can't always be... They're overloaded a little bit getting, if you want to ring up or whatever, through the through the the, uh, the phone and get it delivered. Yes. Um, it's difficult. So we're trying to do that where we can, but it's a lot of pressure on our staff at the moment. We have a panel with us. Alexia, jump in your thoughts, your questions here. What would help 
Ian, what, what would be the biggest thing that would help you guys? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the thing that I've been thinking about all this, I mean, everyone's, there's pressure in so many different areas. And I, I was just thinking how important it is that we all need to do what we can because we're living through really difficult times. I was just thinking about simple things like um, our church, uh, people of people um, within the church communities or community organisations um, helping each other. You know, some people can't get down to the supermarket and we've mm. got people bringing the food um, to their congregational members and that type of thing. I really think we need to because uh, there isn't a simple answer. That's what it feels like anyway, right. uh, that we just need to all do what we can because these are difficult times. Raj. Um, I really appreciated hearing um, how we could all kind of individually and collectively contribute, but I was also kind of thinking about... Um, you know, on a larger scale, what the what the government could do at such a time. And, you know, there was an article I read that spoke about how the prime minister refuses to call it a crisis when for many people it's a perfect storm of rising costs that feels yeah. exactly like that. Um, yes. And it both, you know, and it and it both saddens and surprises me how many things governments will do during a within inverted commas wartime that they won't even consider if much of the same effects apply during more supposedly normal times. And, and I'll clarify what I mean. Um, you know, two years ago, an unprecedented crisis arrived on our shores from overseas. And neither we nor our government was responsible for it. We could mm. all only re react to it. And we did using unprecedented never tried before measures, including huge levels of income support. Um, yes. so, right now, the so right now, the government might say much of this inflationary pressure, aside from house prices, is caused by global factors beyond our control. But why can't we do something about it? You know, why can't the imaginative, unprecedented thinking continue, um, such as suspending GST for fresh foods, just as one idea. Um, the, my mm, main suspending, point is that... Yeah, keep going. My, my main point is that it's amazing as soon as a crisis is over, we go back inside the old thinking box with its kind of closed, constricted walls and set ways of doing things. You know, I mean, if the government would say, hey, you know, we're, we're on a bit of a roll with this thinking outside the box gig. You know, let's keep going and be responsive to people's needs. There's a clearing call there, uh, Ian, from Raj, to think outside yeah. the box, to use the cliche. It could be, um, please, uh, um, GST of fruit and vegetables, and text us 2101. Is that a good idea, Ian? Well, I think there's ideas of that nature that need to be considered. I mean, we had the wage subsidy uh, operating. Now, obviously, this is a bit more nuanced than that in sense that maybe it's not people that don't have work or that type of thing, but some kind of support needs to be um, worked out, I think, through one mechanism or the other, but I wouldn't like to say I've got a, got a really mm. specific answer. I think one of the options 
could be something about, uh, you know, taking tax off food. But I, I understand some people think that's a rather complex way of doing things and, and it's probably a little bit beyond my pay grade to, uh, right. to, 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 to push. Kia ora, Ian. I appreciate your time. That is Ian Hudson, the, the, the Director of the Salvation Army's Social Policy and Parliamentary Unit. And listening to that is financial mentor, financial mental rather, Shirley McCoon from Tauranga a Budget Advisory Service. Uh, Shirley, uh, kia ora. Um, and kia ora. What, 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 what are you hearing from your clients, Shirley? Very similar. Lots of clients who um, were very close to the edge, as, as the previous speaker said, and suddenly there is no fat in the system. So as the pressure comes on, they're struggling to eat, to meet even um, you know basic costs, and are looking to places like food bank to fill that gap. You said something recently. I think it was a day or so ago. Uh, you said that the prime minister's refusal to call it a crisis is invalidating for people who are really struggling. you want to explain that a bit? Yeah, I guess uh, um, when we say it's a crisis, I, I, I think that for people is it? who don't... Well, I think it is for people, um, particularly on the um, lower income levels. Actually, mid-income levels probably more so for... Um, those that are just outside the scope of where they can get support from work and income, there's no other way apart from increasing wages, which in some, time, in some um, instances these days have been cut due to reduced hours and things. Um, little other way to increase their income uh, and costs are going up and up and up. So for them it is a crisis. And I think, I was saying the other day when I was, when I was talking, it's complex, as people have said. And and it's it's not going to be easily fixed just by giving people more money in their pockets because it has to be equitable and that means that some people will actually need more than others, obviously. Um, you know, we see people, when I talk about complexity, we talk about the housing crisis that we have. And we saw a client the other day who was spending $900 in rent a week. And they, after they had paid all of their bills, they had twenty. After they, sorry, they had paid their um, accommodation costs. They had twenty-seven dollars left. And you think, well, why is that that's... person, you know, renting such an expensive property? That's crazy. But there's when there's very few houses available, people are taking what they can get because they need a roof over their head, and they sometimes have a large family. So, whereas you might say, well, look for something less expensive, they aren't necessarily available. That's extraordinary. $900 a week in rent, $27 left over. Tauranga, you mightn't have the housing stock available, so you, you, you get what you can get, a family. Alexia. Yeah. It's pretty horrible, And I think, it? you know, they're stretched to the max already, and then petrol costs start to rise. And then food costs start to rise, and, and there's, they look around and they say, so, so where does this come from? I don't have any fat in the system. I, you know, for a lot of people, there aren't things that they can easily just give up and, um, you know, take from somewhere else. And so things like, well, food certainly gets affected and you just have to talk to the food banks around the country to see the demand that's there. But it's sometimes the things you don't see. So it might be insurances, which are all very well until something goes wrong and, um you know, uh, there's a fire or there's a burglary or there's a, a car that's involved in an accident and then suddenly, um, you know, they're not just behind the eight ball, they're not even on the table because there's absolutely no way they can get back to the position they were without 
insurance to support them. So I really appreciate your time this afternoon, Shirley. Kia ora um, for, Kia ora. For, 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 um, uh, for being with us on the panel here. Uh, that is financial mentor Shirley McCoon from Tauranga, a budget advisory. So around the panel on that one, I mean, what, what did I hear there, Raj? $900 a week rent, $27 wow. left over. Wow. I mean, what, what options does that leave you? Wow. Uh, I'm still I'm still processing that. Just trying to think how I what I'd go into a shop and get if that was what I had. Alexia, uh, you wouldn't be going into the shop, would you? I mean, yeah. you know, you'd like to, you'd like to hope that people who have that little left are getting the accommodation supplement that they're reaching out and getting all the help that there is available. Um, you know, they should be able to get a giant whack off that for an accommodation supplement. That money is there. I, you know, I, I wonder how many people are having barriers put in the way of accessing what they are allowed to access. Um, and, you know, of course, there, there is a housing crisis and that has pushed into just about everything else because rent eats up all the, that income. Um, the, you know, you'd like to think there can there could be things like the fuel crisis, for example. Maybe the various um, councils could introduce a you know a mm. discount card that you get you a month's weekly pass on all public transport okay. for very low cost. But that, that only works in places like Auckland, yes. where there's already an established public transport. Trying to think of other ideas here. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's been a lot of response yeah. to the uh, GST of fruit and veg uh, as an option. Uh, that Raj brought that up, and uh, the <laughs> A huge majority are saying it is at least something to look at. I'm sure that that might be raised uh, in the near future. Anyway, uh, politically now... It has been raised, though, Wallace. Yes, it it? has. That's right. And it's very, very difficult to separate out one particular type of item Mm. from the GST regime. Yeah. Another news, National has overtaken Labour in party support for the first time since the pandemic. Labour dipping to its lowest results since 2017. The latest One News Kantar poll... Reveals. Meanwhile, the minor parties relatively stable. Greens on nine, act on eight. Smaller parties, including Te Party Māori, 2% could uh, once again play a pivotal role. Christopher Luxon has reached the highest preferred Prime Minister result for a national leader since Subal English, while Jacinda Ardern still out in front. With us to discuss is lecturer in politics at Massey University, Grant Duncan. Grant, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Chris Luxon, four months in the job. This is quite the turnaround for National, isn't it? In fact, let's just say it, it's a massive shift. It is quite a strong trend over quite a number of polls. And actually, uh, this isn't the first poll that has put um, National ahead. It's just the first one that got a lot of publicity. Uh, so there's a couple of other results as well that, that seem to confirm this. And it's the first time National's been ahead in the polls for two years, uh, since early 2020. And uh, certainly it seems that uh, Luxon's leadership seems to have been uh, the game changer. What is driving voters away from Labour, if they have been driven yeah. from Labour? Oh, well, certainly, yes, that's another side of it, too. There's, there's quite a lot of discontent, as we know. We've just had a really interesting discussion there, Wallace, uh, on the panel about some of those sources of discontent, uh, clearly uh, rising prices. and. Certainly the war in Ukraine is going to drive up fuel prices and wheat prices as well. So look out, bread. Um, And so uh, those sorts of things are things that, um, as was pointed out, the government doesn't have a lot of control over. But denying that it's a problem is not really helping. Uh, Tax cuts won't help deal with uh, rising prices either. 
uh, just redistributing who gets to spend what on a limited uh, range of goods. So it's not necessarily going to help. Uh, and tax cuts, Nationals plan of tax cuts will tend to exacerbate inequality. But Labor's got a really difficult year ahead of it because of this crisis. Housing remains a problem. The three waters reform is very unpopular. And of course, there's ongoing frustration about the uh, restrictions on our civil and economic liberties at the moment because of the pandemic. So they've got a lot of work to do. Mm. Raj, what are you hearing there with Grant and your thoughts or questions on this poll? No, I I mean, when you combine everything we've been talking about, it's not hard to see that there isn't much of a feel-good factor going around at the moment. And, you know, although, like Grant, I disagree with Christopher Luxon about his tax cuts announcements, but to give credit where it's due, um, I do think he has treaded a smart line of late on um, several COVID-related matters, you know, so he hasn't veered towards the Australian extreme of letting it rip. He's kept a distance from the protesters, but also created a point of difference from the government by consistently pointing out that the entire elaborate architecture that has kept us safe these past two years should not be seen as the new normal and that these measures should have an endpoint. You know, so to that extent, there's a kind of post-war optimism associated with him, I feel. He's like, he's the man after the crisis, although we are still not out of it. That's you know? interesting. Post-war um, optimism vibe with Christopher Lux and Grant Duncan. Uh, yeah, I think there's something in that. And uh, certainly uh, the restrictions must not be permanent. They have to be, by definition, temporary because we do live in a democracy. So we have to lift those restrictions on civil and economic liberties at some stage. Part of the problem is that the present government hasn't been clear enough with us about when or under what conditions those restrictions are going to be lifted. But I would guess it's not far away, uh, but certainly uh, I think Raj is absolutely right that Luxon has been able to draw, uh, tread a good middle way and uh, exploit some of the dissatisfaction with these restrictions. Alexia? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not surprised about this poll. I think we talked about this a little while back. Um, well, it's about, you know, after the person who handles the crisis that, um, you know, you want to see a change of scene, you want to have a new start, you want to believe there's a fresh start, different direction. Um, and, and, you know, I sort of see this as a backlash, not particularly against the government per se, but against an international pandemic, really, um, you know, because intellectually, the government has handled this whole thing on the fly, but very well, you know, responding to an unprecedented crisis that we we don't know how, there's no blueprint for this. And they've done, if you look at it from outside the world looking in, we've done very well. Um, but, you know, as a democratic society, we've been very good at picking that response apart at the seams. So it's not surprising that people look at the criticism, look at soaring gas prices, look at the inflation, right. rising cost of living, you know, the shortages of closed restaurants, and they blame it on the government. Um, you know, and on top of that, Jacinda and Co have been so busy battling this crazy COVID thing, they haven't had the time or resources to be the transformative government people had hoped for. And some of that kindness has backfired, you know, such as letting violent gang members terrorise communities because they can't be kicked out of their kangaroo homes. Um, <laughs> they say elections used to be won on the back of good fortune by the All Blacks. And I think while that's simplistic, it's fair to say that when t- the good's good, the government stays, and when things go bad, there's a changes in the wind. 
Just, uh, just finally, before you go, Grant, uh, so here we see, uh, looking forward to the election year, and here we see Te Party Māori in a possible kingmaker role, because uh, neither main bloc has enough seats to govern outright. I mean, quite the turnaround. I mean, 2017, the Māori Party was voted out. Quoting to Eero Flavel then, it destroyed me and my belief in our people. Um, you're pretty gutted about the uh, you know getting out of parliament, uh, but here we have them uh, possibly occupying quite a unique role. Oh, I think at this early stage, though, Wallace, that's rather right. like reading the tea leaves, honestly, okay. partly <laughs> because the polls, given their performance before the last election, are actually rather inaccurate, and we're a long way away from an election. So I would say we're, we're you know jumping a little bit ahead there, if you'll excuse me, Wallace. Yeah. Not fair enough. Hey, nice to have you on the program, Grant. Kia ora. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, lecturer in politics at Massey University, Grant Duncan. Uh, to this, uh, by the way, we're with Raj Chakraborty and Alexi Russell, and uh, you uh, with Wallace Chapman on RNZ in the Bay, Blockhouse Bay, uh, from the bottom of the garden this afternoon. To the big question of the day, how do you do your washing? Are you a separator? who carefully divides the laundry into piles, or does everything get bundled into the machine at once? An item in the Washington Post called Our Eye and argues that millennials do their laundry different to the baby boomers. Basically, they dump everything into the washer on cold, then go about their day. Uh, <laughs> as I did when I was a student in Dunedin. So, around the panel, I had a big response on this. What's your laundry strategy? Raj, separator, or dump it in cold water, you go for a gelato. Well, I have a confession to make on this, which is that doing the laundry isn't part of my household chores, but vacuuming the, whole, but vacuuming the whole house and doing most of the cooking <laughs> are. Uh, so I did ask my wife whether she is a separator, and her answer was only if there is enough for two loads. And... Um, and her argument was basically about um, clothes being a lot more color fast these days. And, um, wow. you know, apart from brand new items, they usually don't bleed as much color. So I was interested in um, what other people do. Well, text us to 101, but let's hear it from Alexia Russell. Yeah, well, my view on any housework is that you should spend the least amount of time doing it and use the easiest possible <laughs> method. So <laughs> I'm, um, I'm not a sorter, but I am a soaker because my boys, being plasterers, if they've been sanding and then their clothes have to go in a hot water wash or I have to soak them, I do have a rule that one of, one of my boys in particular must soak his socks before they go in the wash so they don't contaminate everything. But, you know, I must admit a couple of articles these articles, they've been going for a little while. You know, once you get started on one, they lead you to another and another. Did send me into a spiral of worry about doing the laundry. So I actually got my washing machine instruction book down and read it. <laughs> it's a mine of information. Who knew? See, that is, that's what's called research, listeners. That is the <laughs> length towards the, the, that our panellists go. You actually got the instruction manual from your, what is it, a fish from Paykel or a meal or what is it? It's uh, electrolytes. Yeah. Uh, Claire yeah. in says, divide and roll is the only way to, de to, de to deal with this. Um, another one says, uh, all together on cold, I'm a boomer. 
And regarding laundry habits, I wash light-coloured clothes separately from dark clothes in cold or warm water. But I always wash towels, sheets, etc. in hot water. Now, this keeps my machine free of germs. I suggest that people who only wash in cold water to fill their washing machine occasionally with cold water, add half a cup of bleach ginola, agitate, then leave overnight. This will kill the germs that have accumulated in the washing machine. That sounds quite complicated, Raj. Wow, yes. Um, there was one other thing that uh, my convers- which I'd be interested in what people think. My conversation with my wife led us to talking about, you know, and contemporary clothing and whether present day clothing and whether the fibers bleed less color. And it led us to talking about mothballs and how the clothes of today, as opposed to the clothes we grew up with and the cupboards we grew up with, we never moth. Do- Does anyone mothball their newer clothes or clothes they buy today? Somehow no. they don't seem to need it. No, 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 so, one, uses, no, one, no one uses mothballs. Yeah, so it's here. something to do with synthetic no, fibers maybe. Yeah, yeah, because we don't just only have natural fibers anymore. Right, so, yeah. And we, have, and we have better ways of storing them, you know, with a bit of space between the hangers and not jamming them into a tiny little wardrobe with a shut door. Mothballs. When was the last time I saw a mothball, Alexia? 75? 79? You're on the panel. Uh, I think they stink. Absolutely. Uh, In my 70s, I've always washed everything together on a cold wash, but dissolved the detergents in the hot. Uh, Another one recently, my granddaughter, 25-year-old, gave me two white T-shirts to repair. They were grey, had been washed constantly with dark colours. You must, New Zealand... Separate. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Alexi Russell, Raj Chakraborty with me. Power Ballad, it's a good one. It is the one of the great songs in music history. That's next. <laughs> 